This Tuesday's Tisha B'Av, <coughs> uh, so I thought it would be appropriate to speak about Tisha B'Av. Um, and you know what really what 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 really go, is going on in Tisha B'Av, just to uh, sort of like try to get a handle on it. Chazal tell us that there are five things that happen on Tisha B'Av throughout history, on the ninth day of Av. The first thing were the spies, the Muraglim, is that the Xero, the decree against the Jewish people, was issued on the ninth day of Av, that they wander in the desert for, desert for 40 years. So that was the first uh, cataclysmic event. The second event is the destruction of the first temple. The third event is the destruction of the second temple. The fourth event is the destruction of Beitar, which uh, is supposed to have occurred in 133 CE. And the second base of was destroyed either in 68 CE or uh, 70 CE. And the fifth event was in 135 CE uh, that they plowed the area of the base of Migdash, they just plowed it like it was a field. So that's sort of like a finale. That's it, you see. So those five things happen all on Tisha B'Av. <clears throat> what we have to think about is really what's the concept of Tisha B'Av? Okay. We know that the immediate concept of Tisha B'Av includes fundamentally two uh, ideas. The concept called Khurban, destruction, and then the second concept is called mourning, Avelus. And that's what we do. We mourn the destruction of the Beis HaMikdash. But uh, there has to be something more profound in terms of the mourning uh, and the destruction itself. Uh, so there's certain ideas and areas that we could begin to think about. First idea. The Beis HaMikdash was destroyed 1,947 years ago. That's a long time ago. That's almost 2,000 years ago. <clears throat> so the question that we have to ask is, <clears throat> we understand that it was destroyed, but, and, uh, and there is a concept of mourning, because we have lost an enormous amount of things. But we didn't do anything. We didn't cause this. Why are we still mourning? No, are we mourning about something that was? Is that what we're doing? Or is something more profound about the mourning itself? You see, that's a very important question. Are we commemorating Tisha B'Av? Right? Are we commemorating what was? What does it have to do with today's time? That's the question. Because they caused the destruction the people who had sinaschinam, groundless hatred, <clears throat> and of course who spoke Lush and Hara, they're the ones who caused this. So now why are we still commemorating Tisha B'Av? Especially when you remember the fact that the Jewish people do not commemorate anything. Every holiday that the Jewish people are involved in is always as part of what's called the Tikkun process. It's always to advance the purpose of creation. It's always to advance the concept of repairing 
the creation itself. Tikkun, which is the job of the Jew. So the question then is, uh, is that how is this advancing? Basically what seems to be is that we are commemorating what they did. Now it's true that we have a loss. I mean, if you think about it, <clears throat> imagine the base of this one had existed. There was a tremendous feeling of the divine presence. You know, if you went into the base of this area, there would be a tremendous feeling that you would have. We don't even know what that would be. But there was a tremendous divine presence in the base of Migdash in those years. Could you imagine davening Mincha at the Kaisal then as really part of the base of Migdash? When you're feeling this tremendous divine force or energy. Wow, what a Mincha, what a Mayarif, right? That's gone. So, okay, we can understand why we mourn that, you know. Uh, what about all the Nevi'im that used to walk around? And this is certainly, of course, in the first place of Middash. So with the destruction of the first place of Middash, afterwards, shortly afterwards, the concept of Nevu'ah, prophecy, stopped. So, of course, that's an incredible loss that we also experienced. So we could say that mourning certainly would be appropriate for that, you see. Uh, uh, and it's also the Ruchni's level. You know, in the time of the Beis HaMikdash, the ability to achieve a much greater state of spirituality was much easier. There were always ten miracles, according to Imperial that was constant in the Beis HaMikdash. So if you wanted to reinforce your belief in God, you just go into the Beis HaMikdash and you see these miracles, you know? I mean, the Chazal mentioned many of them. You know, imagine the base of English was basically enormous. It was a slaughterhouse. There was an incredible amount of sacrifices. It's like a butcher shop, a humongous butcher shop, right? So you would expect in a butcher shop millions of flies, right? I mean, that's what they're all drawn to, the blood, right? Yet there was not one fly to be found in the entire base of Middash. you see. And it wasn't because they had such great exterminators, you know, there was no flies. Or the fact that the smoke, when it went up from the Mizbeach, for instance, you know, with all the sacrifice being burnt, you know, no matter how strong the wind was, it always went straight up. It never veered or inclined. No women, it just, there were miracles that were ongoing. So could you imagine if somebody wanted to reinforce his belief in God, he would just look at these miracles. And it was much easier to access Ruchni's spirituality. So of course we can understand the concept of mourning for those. But remember, you know, is that what the, so the question is, is that, is that what the mourning is about? Is it the loss? That is the question. Not really. We mourn the destruction of the Ebes Hamikdash, not because of the mourning, and not because of the loss of what we had. As I mentioned, there was a tremendous amount of losses. The reason why we mourn the Beis Hamikdash is because the Beis Hamikdash was destroyed because of our sins. Yes, we destroyed the Beis Hamikdash. You see. So we're not mourning because something that they did and therefore we have a loss. No. The reason why we mourn and we grieve is because we, again, the Jewish people, 
destroyed the base of Migdash. Again, this year. This year is 2017. Well, we got three days. That base of Migdash is not built or uh, you know, appear again. That means the Jewish people have destroyed the base of Migdash in 2017. Where do we see that? Because the Yushalmi says, a famous Yushalmi that called door any generation if the base of English was not built in its day, is Kiilu It's as if it was destroyed in that in its day. Question is, what does that mean? And the idea to that really is, is that the base Hamikdash, every Tishabov, there is a tremendous court case in heaven. Because the Rabbanishim wants the base Hamikdash, he wants to come back. So there's a tremendous, what's called Dintura. Do the Jews deserve to have the Beis Amigdash built or not? And the answer is, what the Bezin decides is no. <coughs> because of the sins of the Jews. But what does that mean? In other words, if the Beis Amigdash would be standing, then that decree would have it destroyed. If it wasn't standing, then that decree would prevent it from being built. Either way, we destroyed the base of Migdash. In the old days, it destroyed the physical structure. And today, it doesn't destroy the physical structure. It prevents the base of Migdash from being built. But it's the same concept, the same destruction. And that happens every Tisha B'Av. So if the base of Migdash is not standing now, right, or by Tisha B'Av, right, that means that the sins of the Jewish people have again destroyed the base of Migdash in a sense that it is now prevented from being built and that is equal or tantamount to its destruction. Therefore, we mourn. We mourn because again we have destroyed the base of Migdash. We are directly responsible because what they destroyed thousands of years ago, right? Fine, it could have been built. If we would be worthy, it would have been built. You see, so then why isn't it built? Not because of their sins. It's true that they destroyed the base of Megdash in their day. But in our day, we just destroyed it also. You see. So the reason why we mourn the base of Megdash, okay, is because we destroyed it again. And not because we are commemorating something that happened thousands of years ago. It's a very big difference. You see. That's a whole different concept of Avelus, of mourning. You see that we are responsible. That's an important idea. So that's the first dimension of Tishabov. A second dimension of Tishabov. And what is that? I, over the past Urim, I've spoken at different times about this idea, but it's Tishabov, so it's really very important, again, to understand it. For those who have never heard it, certainly good. <clears throat> so the first Khurban, or destruction, of Tishbov is the loss of the Beis HaMikdash, which means that the Divine Presence left, and therefore, that prevents us from an enormous amount of things that we could incredibly benefit from. Ruchnia, spirituality, we would feel the Divine Presence, we would have prophecy, 
We'd have incredible gedolim walking around. All these things are gone. But there's a much, uh, but there's a different reason what the real Chorban is. Adam Arishan, the first man, he was commanded to ignore the advice of the Sultan. Okay? Ignore the advice, don't believe this guy, what he's saying, what do you mean? The tree gave the power to God and so on, if you recall what the original argument was that he tried to present. And his job was really to bring down Kedusha. And the Satan was, of course, in the form of the Nochesh Kamoidi, which is the primordial snake, was trying to convince him to do what? To uh, eat from the tree, which was he, of course, he was commanded not to. What happens? <clears throat> so he ate from the tree. So the initial idea or the relationship between man and the snake, or man and the Satan, is do not listen to what he is saying. Don't buy into his argument. But Odomarishan did. So therefore, Odomarishan changed the relationship between himself and the Sutton. So, because originally his job was to do what? To ignore the advice of the Sutton. But now his job was to destroy the Sutton and the whole concept of evil that he represents. So it's a different job now. <clears throat> it's a job to destroy the Sutton. The question is, how do you destroy a Sutton? So what the Barsham did <clears throat> is he connected the life source of man and the Satan together. What does that mean? Everything that exists needs a divine flow into him. In fact, every atom has that flow. And that divine flow, Kedusha, that creates something and it maintains its existence. That's what it does. <clears throat> Everything in the Bria, in the creation, has this divine flow. It's like a cable that connects God to, the, to let's say, to a, a man. If you would walk over to that cable and cut it, symbolically, then that individual immediately vanish because you need that divine flow, that divine uh, sustenance or maintenance to exist. You see. Now, everything in the Bria had that divine, if you want, flow through that cable, so to speak, Okay, independent of anybody else. So what the Rabbanisham did, since Odom believed the Satan, the, the snake, which is the mouthpiece of the Satan, what he decided to do was very interesting. He goes over to the Satan, the Rabbanisham, and he cuts the cable of the Satan. And before the Satan will expire and annihilate, he connects this end cable to the cable of man, Odom. So it comes out that this cable now comes down and splits because the, the cable of the Sutton is now connected, you see. And there's a divine flow that allows both sides to exist. But here's the problem. The problem is that there's only enough flow for one side to exist and flourish. Therefore, if it goes to the side of man, man will flourish and the Sutton will die, literally. Uh, and if it goes to the side of the Sutton, then the Sutton will become very strong, and then the guy has got a lot of problems. He will begin to get weak, and ultimately, he can succumb also. That's a very important relationship. In other words, what God did is he tied uh, the existence and the uh, prosperity of man, so to speak, right, to the Sutton himself. 
Now, what determines the flow, since there's really only enough to go to one side? And the answer is the acts of man, not the sultan. The sultan has to wait for man to do something. What is that? So if Adam does the will of God, does the mitzvahs, so this divine flow will go to Adam, right? And what happens to the Adam? He becomes stronger. He has tremendous amount of muzzle, good fortune. He becomes more spiritual. He has great panosa, great stuff. What happens to the Satan? Because it's basically going to man. He grows weak. The Malach goes weak. Because that's the Satan is the Malach. He grows weak more and more. And ultimately speaking, if Adam is able to draw away all the power, then the Satan dies. This angel dies because the, the life of that angel depends on man's acts. You see. So if man takes it to him, Satan dies. If man sins, which is the reverse, then the Satan takes that divine flow to himself. And then the person himself begins to experience terrible weakness and ultimately, of course, death. Uh, and therefore, this is called yinika, yoinek. To be yoinek means to nourish. So the Satan is yoinek, nourishes from the acts of man. You see, actually he nourishes from the divine energy that goes to man. He's a usurper. He's a godlin. That's what he's called. He's a thief. Because really that is supposed to go to Adam, the man, not to him, you see. But the fact that he's connected, and also if man sins, what happens? Then the Satan is a thief. He steals from man. And he becomes much more powerful. In fact, the Satan, because of this relationship, is the only malach that can what's called wax and wane, like the moon. It can grow stronger or diminish. No other angel has this problem. The, they, they exist the way they were created, and they have their own independent cable, so to speak, that allows them to exist. <coughs> but the sultan doesn't. His muzzle, if you want to use that word by the sultan, depends on the acts of man, you see. Therefore, if man sins, he grows in power. If man does mitzvahs, he weakens, which is interesting. That he himself veers, just like man veers, man varies. He can get stronger and less strong. The satan will vary in the exact same way. And what's interesting also is that whatever man has, and if the satan is unique, nourishes from that, he will get also, <coughs> which we will see. So therefore, if I asked you, what's the nature of the relationship between the Satan and man? The answer is combat. They fight. Because there's only one source of Kiddusha, holiness, right? And it's only going to go basically to one side. And therefore, the Satan not only wants to get man to sin because, you know, that's the whole concept of, uh, of the test of man. But his real motive isn't so much to allow man to be tested. His real motive is he wants to survive, you see. And the only way he could survive is by getting man to sin. So he now has what's called an ulterior motive. He has a personal reason why. No longer he's on a mission from God. He's on his own mission, mission to survive. Very important concept. And this is because of this relationship. What is the relationship? It's called an inverse relationship. If side A goes up, then she goes down. And if side B goes down, or A goes down, then he goes up. That's inverse. It's a seesaw. 
You know what a seesaw is, of course. One side up, one side down, and so on. Right? That's the relationship between Odomarishim, okay, and the Sultan. And that relationship carried on to the Jewish people. Where do you see this? Okay, one of the places that you really see it is by Yaakov and Esav. Right? It says by Yaakov and Esav, One nation will always be greater than the other. Why? In other words, if the Jews, if Yaakov is great, then Esav, he will be diminished. And the other way, if Yaakov is diminished, then Esav will be great. What kind of relationship is that? Seesaw. Same thing, it's an inverse or a reciprocal relationship. Why? Because who is the angel of Esav? The Sultan. So since Yaakov has that relationship with the Sultan, he has the exact same relationship with Esav. You see? Same thing. That's how you see that the relationship between Yaakov and Esav is the same as the relationship between the Jew and the angel called the Sultan. Same thing. That's what you, you really clearly see that. Yeah. Where do you see this in the, when Hashem uh, expresses the punishment to, to the Nach, to, to, to Nach, yeah. where do you see this relationship uh, shifting, the cable being connected to, uh, to men? Yeah, what, 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 <clears throat> from that language you can see, you know, where it says that, you know, he will, bru- he will bruise your head, right? And you will bruise him, you know? And so on, right? What, what is that? That's combat. That means man and the Sutton are always fighting with each other, right? And what the Bronish is saying, you and him will always be at odds with each other. You and him will always be fighting. Why? Why will the Sutton, why didn't God say, hey, let the Sutton do his job, that's all. Your job is to tempt man. You see? But the real concept is that there's a combat existentially. They are both fighting for their existence. And that's the way the Rabbanu Shem arranged it, which is very interesting. You see? So therefore, if my acts, if the acts of Odomarishim, which subsequently was transferred to the acts of the Jews, because the Jews have now replaced Odom, right? Uh, that would mean that the Jews can destroy the Sultan. That's how they can do it. Remember, the first job of Odom and, uh, was what? To ignore the advice. And the second job of Odom now became to destroy, to annihilate, right? The Sultan. But how? So the way the Jew, Odom Mauritian and the Jew can now do that, right? To annihilate the Sultan, right? To destroy him is when he, his existence is now dependent on your acts. So if you do the right thing, he's destroyed. You see? So that's how the Bansham was able to allow or provide the ability of man to destroy the Sultan. You see? So that's the new job. Actually, there's two jobs. So the first job of man is to do what? Is to destroy the Sultan. Which means you have to take back all the holiness that the Sutton took from man. Because that's really where it went, if you remember. All the Sutton, it's called in Kabbalah, it's called Nitzitze Kedusha, the sparks of holiness. So what happened is, is that man, right, all these sparks, like energy pills, right, they all went to the Sutton. And that's how he grows, you see. So the job of the Jew is to take back all those sparks into the side of holiness. Once he does that, 
then he can bring down the rest of the Kedusha, the holiness, the divine flow, and change this world, Olam Hazeh, this world, into the future world, Olam Ahbo. Those are the truth. And therefore, there are two, like I once mentioned, that's why there are two messiahs, two Mashiachan. Mashiach ben Yosef, he's involved in what's called Tahara, purity, because he wants to take back all the sparks of holiness that the Sutton has, and therefore the Sutton dies, right? And the one who brings down the Kedusha after that's done is Mashiach ben David. His Pashtas Kedusha takes down the Kedusha. And, and that's why you have two, two individuals, because both individuals really require two different types of personalities to do this job, you see. In any case, uh, so this provides us with a very important understanding, a fundamental understanding of the relationship between the Jew and the Sultan. Is it a fair fight? What? Is it a fair fight? You better hope it is. It is. It is fair. It doesn't look fair. No. But you know why? Because the problem is something else. The problem is that if you are given an opportunity, so at the outset it's fair. But what happens if you fail? Right? So then the test is not going to be as easy as it was. It gets harder. Because the consequence of your failure is that you've now made the test harder. You see, because the problem is that it's not, man cannot evade the consequences of his acts. So when a person has a test, right, you know, an Isoyan, a test, right, then what happens is, is that he has to avoid, you know, failing, right? But what happens if he fails? What has he done? He has given more Kedusha, more divine flow to the Satan. So therefore, he has what done, done what to the Satan? He has empowered. The Satan becomes much more powerful. So now man has to do the same job with a greater Satan. Because that's the consequence of his act. You see? It's the consequences of the act that make it more and more difficult. But anyway, so that, that's what's going on. And that's why, you know, when you look at it, as history goes on, it becomes more and more difficult in that sense because his failure has consequences. And, and, and the truth is, that's fair. Why should a guy be subjected to the exact same test, right, after the failure? Hey, you failed. But the failure isn't just you failed the test. You failed, which means that you gave more power and energy to the Sultan. So therefore, he has a greater ability to try to harm you. You see, if not for God, that God evens it out to a certain, you know, whatever, then a person could not overcome. And that way, and that's what it means, that in Mole, if it wasn't for the fact that the Bernstein helps a person, that Satan would destroy him. Why? Because there are consequences. This is the problem. You see, you don't go back to the original test. You go back to a harder test because you now make, made the Satan more powerful and the Sultan has a great ability to make the test harder. But in that case, then what happens, God now has to come in and assist you, or else you could never make it. You see, you, so, and that, that's what he does. In the end, you have to remember one thing. In the end, God will guarantee that the Jews will destroy the Sultan. And he does. And that's the Chad uh, Gadjo and the Pesach. You know, the Russian comes and destroys the Malchamavas. And so, you know, so with that assistance, yes, in other words, the only time that a person would have had a fair test is the first test. Anyway, I want to continue, or else I'll never get to Tishabov.
Okay, you know, um, you know. Uh, but I, but I'm showing you that it's because there's a consequences here that things get more and more difficult. But like I said, the mushroom aids the person, and that's what the Gemara means, that he assists the person, because it doesn't make sense. If you think about it, what do you mean? Why does God have to aid me? Why is the guy so strong in the first place? You see? And the answer is that it was fear in the beginning. But one of the consequences is that he gets stronger, therefore we now require the assistance of God to get us out of this mess, as they say. In any case... Oh, the Russian didn't need to see at the Shemaya? No. Wow, okay. I didn't know that. I mean, he, that's Bechira. You know, he had free will, he didn't need it, and, and that was very good, you know? Anyway, so that explains that. But anyway, now, this concept is very important. And this begins to tell us the real tragedy of Tisha B'Av. Not only is the first tragedy I mentioned, right, is that we have a loss of an incredible divine uh, presence, which alters enormously what we, how far we can go in Kedusha and so on. But um, because of this relationship, <clears throat> we now understand <clears throat> that there's something much worse. What is that? And I will give you a couple of examples. Okay. Therefore, one of the fundamental things to always look at, which we really can't see, but there are indicators, okay, is what is the balance between the Jew and the Sultan? What does it mean, the balance? What does that mean? Who's got the ball, like basketball? In whose court is this ball? Does the Sultan have more sparks of holiness than we do? Or do we have more sparks than he does? See, that's the ball. In many ways, I want to, to uh, you know, mention that what, right? Is that it's a football game, right? The ball is the uh, sparks of holiness. The question is, who's got the ball? Which team has it, you see? The same thing in a basketball, you know? Everything in that basketball court is irrelevant. The o There's only one thing everybody wants to know. One thing. Where is the ball on the court? Because everything is in that ball. Uh, in many ways, that's exactly what we are doing. It's a team. There's a Sutton and his side, and there's a Jew and his side. And we are vying with a Sutton, right, for the ball, the egg, whatever you want to call it, right? And that ball is in Itzotzei Kedusha, is the sparks of holiness. Which side has it? You see, it's interesting. You know, it's a sports game. The problem with it is the entire creation depends on the winner. You know what I'm saying? It's like the World Series, if you want to look at it that way. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Better make the right bet. Better make a why, why? The right bet. The right? You're betting on it. Yeah. No, 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 no. I'm betting on the Jew. You know? The Jew, the Jew will make it. That's only because he has God behind him. Let me tell you something now, you know. The Jew, if it was up to the Jews on themselves, forget it. They'd never make it. No. He tell you what can you say? Actually, there's a lot to say about that. But anyway. <laughs> um, anyway. Yeah, so let's take a look at this relationship. Okay. Uh, then now, so remember, that the first concept is who's got the ball, who's got more Kedusha? Right? That's the first question, right? Is it the Jew or is it Sutton? And the second concept is that reality must ac 
accommodate or align itself in terms of who's got more Kedusha. You'll always find that, which is interesting. And therefore, reality becomes a barometer. You see that several, many times, but one of the classic times is by Haman, Mordechai and Haman, you see, and Purim, you see. Until then, it was always in the hands of Haman, because Haman, Amalek, is the representative of the Satan. So he's got the power. <clears throat> the Satan is much more powerful. It's called Tikbur Surah, the growth of evil. And therefore, Haman, who is p- part of the satanic football team, I want to use that expression, right? He's got the power. He's got the ear of Achashverosh, right? He's going to kill the Jews, wipe them out, yes? And then Esther says, okay, all of us have to fast. So the Jews fast for three days. So what happens? So because the Jews did Shufa, so the balance of power now shifted from the Sultan back to the Jews. That's interesting. But if that's the case, then down here, that must be reflected. How was it reflected? When, when Achashverosh had the dream, right? And Achashverosh said, if you remember the Megillah, and he said to Haman, okay? Because Haman said, you know, Achashverosh said, well, what would you do to reward a guy, right? So, uh, of course, Haman thought it was him. That's a megalomaniac. But he thought it was him. So he said, you're going to put him on your horse with your robe and your crown. I mean, that was insane advice. You know, it, it, no man would ever give that advice. But the problem is he had no Bechira. That's why he said it. Why? Because any king will always look for rivals and kill them. So by saying, right, you put him on a horse with your garments and your crown, that means that my grand vizier wants to kill me. You don't even have to be paranoid to think this. You know? And, and, and so how can anybody give advice like that to a, an emperor? You know, and he's the most likely guy to overthrow Ahasuerus because he's the grand vizier. But he had no Bechira. Why did he do this? And of course, what happens? Who did he really meant? Achashverosh meant Mordechai. So the next day, right, Mordechai is going through the, with the horse, the royal steed, right, with the garments and the crown, right? Well, what happened? And the answer is, because the three days passed, the Jews took away the Kedusha from the Sultan, which meant that Haman, right, was finished. And that had to reflect itself in reality, which was that Haman, who is representative of the Sultan, right, is now down, and he's the one who now has to elevate Mordechai up. You see? So what happened was is that by, by the influence of what happened in Shemayim, that's what happened here. Yeah, it's a barometer. You see? Anyway, uh, now where do we see this? And the classics are the two destruction of the two Besamekdashes. The first Besamekdash was destroyed 2,500 years ago, that's when it was destroyed. And at that point in time, that's the seesaw. Why? Because when the base of Migdash was destroyed, what does that mean? It means that God left, right? And the house was destroyed. The question is, where does he go? Where does the divine presence go? And the answer is, it doesn't go anywhere. What it means is that the Rabbi says, in the din, okay, my people don't want me, so therefore I will allow the Satan to be unique from the Shekhinah itself. Because that's the deal, measure for measure. 
you don't, the Satan is saying, hey, they don't want you. Uh, they are doing terrible sins. Therefore, the Satan prosecutes them in judgment, and he wins. So therefore, the, the, the Gezerah is that, well, what they used to have is the incredible image of God, the ability to perceive God at the level of prophecy. But that's gone. And therefore, that level of Kedusha goes to the Satan. So immediately, he can now alter history because he won in court. That's the classic balance. What did he win? The interesting thing about it is that the Jew has, the Jewish people have two fundamental characteristics. They have what's called teferes, beauty. What is beauty? Uh, beauty is chokhmah, wisdom. Uh, they have wisdom, teferes, beauty. And the second thing they have is oiz, might. Might is hatzlocha. That's what the Jews have. And by the way, that's why we say brach in the morning, right? Before that we say what? Oiti Yisrael b'sifara Right? He crowns Israel with beauty Right? And What's the second bracha? The gvura, right? Yes Therefore, the gvura is the oiz Those are the two brachas that the Jews have They have the tferis, the beauty The incredible wisdom That God gives them and they also have atzlocha, which is oiz, <coughs> might, see? And both of these things went to the satan. Because if the Jews have it, and they lose it, because they sin, and the satan now takes the kedusha, so both of these incredible characteristics now goes to the satan, you see? So what does that mean? Oh, what that means, therefore, is that the satan now allows historical events to occur, which reflect this tferis and oiz. What is that? <coughs> At the time that the Beis Amigdash was destroyed, within a 100 year period, right, was Greek civilization. Socrates, Plato, Aristotle, all these people lived at that time, right? That's number one. Not only that, that was in the West, the wisdom that they had emerged at that time. Not only that, but in the East, you had the major religions, you had Taoism, uh, Lao Tzu, founder of Taoism. You had Confucius; he was also there, right? And you also had um, what's his name, Buddhism. He also lived at that time. So, how is it possible that the major religions of the world, and also the Chokhm of the world, was founded right around the time that we lost our base in How does that work? And that what you're looking at is the inverse relationship. We lost that. We lost the incredible Chochmah Satira, and the Satan gave it to them. And that's the science, you see, of Greece. Okay? Not only that, we lost the Shekhinah, which is our ability to access, uh, perceive God. They got the ability to perceive God in their way, which is the creation of religions in the East, Buddhism, Taoism, Confucianism, and so on. In fact, you can see that in Echo, which we're going to read, right? Monday night. What does it say there? It says in the beginning of Echo, Malkeho Visoreho, her kings and her princes, Bagoyim. Okay? The princes and the, uh, and the, Malkeho um, Visoreho, uh, the princes and the kings of Jews are in the hands of the Goyim. That's always. Ain Torah. There's no Torah. Vagam Hashem. And even its prophets don't see visions from God. 
what is that possibly referring to? Right? That the 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 Oiz Sureo right, are in the hands of the enemy. That's the Oiz of Jewish people, right? And the enemy represents the Sultan, right? The Goyim and so on. And also in Torah, the Chokhmah of the Jews, the Torah, right, is that and the Neviel, the ability to access visions, okay, is now in the hands of who? Also the Goyim. And that's exactly what happened. What happened? You had Greek wisdom founded them. You had the religions of the East founded them. But not only that, Rome became an empire, or Rome was founded right around that time. Rome that was, that's the Oiz, Aesov. That's when he grew. You see, that you're looking at Mamash the seesaw here because we lost the divine presence. And that was such an incredible loss that the Sutton grew and it was able to give these incredible concepts of Ferris and Oiz to the Goyim to destroy the Jews. In so fact, wait one second. In fact, what you see, it says in the Postup by Tachnon, a very important concept, Admosai Uschubashfi. It's one of the things you say. Admosai, for how long? How long will your might be in ca captivity? That's mamish what it is. And your teferis, your beauty, in the hands of the enemy, right? That uses against the Jews and God. It's mamish uh, We bemoan the fact that the teferis and the oiz are among the goyim, which is called the enemy, right? Right? and in captivity. That's what happens, you see. So therefore, this concept of a seesaw relationship or reciprocal or inverse relationship always happens. And it is what dictates the history of the Jewish people. So you always have to ask yourself, where's the ball? Whose court is it in? Where is most of the Kedusha? Is it in the hands of the Sultan? Or hopefully it's in the hands of the Jews? See, so that's a classic understanding, historically, of this relationship between the Jew and the Sultan. You see. Now, the sec. You want to say something? Is some guy represent Teferis and some guy represent Oiz, we're saying? Yes. So, yeah. Which, which ones? You're saying the religions, the. Well, the Chokhmah, look, the Ch I don't know if you're asking really, but the, the Chokhmah. Greek, Greek, Greek is. Uh, Western civilization is Greece, isn't it? Sure. Just walk outside, take a look at what these guys are doing. You know? Sure, Western civilization is in the hands of, uh, is Edom, it's Aesop. And he's got the incredible wisdom. Did you ever go to Harvard? You ever see what that place looks like? You know, in, in, uh, in uh, Asbury Park, Monmouth, Long Branch, right? There's, there's what's called a two-bit college called Monmouth College. If you drive past that college, wow, it's a campus, you know? It's got buildings, property, real estate, it's huge. And this is a nothing college. They have one over here in the Lakewood. Well, what's, what's the name of it? Georgian Court. Who? Georgian, Georgian Court, it's a nobody. I mean, what, nobody ever heard of Georgian Court, except the Georgians, right? Uh, and, and look at the difference, you know? Lakewood's gotta have a bunch of buildings, right? All over town, right? They can't have it on one campus, you see? Uh, but that, I hate to say it, that nobody university, right? That can have a beautiful campus with buildings and everything. Look at the difference between the beauty and the Hatzlochah, you see? 
That's the Sotan. That's what you're looking at. The Oiz and the Tferis are the might which is called the success, that's Lochom. And the Tferis, the beauty, the Chochmah, is in the hands of the Goyim. You can't compare. I mean, it's, it's just astounding. Well, I'll talk about it a little later, but you, you cannot compare the, the success of the Goyim as compared to the success of the Jews. And even those Jews who are successful, you know, unfortunately, they're not religious, you know, and so on, you know, and, and, and they're working for uh, Western civilization. So yeah. You know, the, first of all, you said the 100 years afterwards, weren't the Christ already back in Eretz Yisrael at the time? When? You said 100 years after the first Mesa Mikdash. No, I didn't say 100 years after Mesa Mikdash. I said within 100 years of the destruction, before or after, right? This was going on. I didn't get to the second base of Megdush. It's the first base of Megdush. So these could have been happening during the second base of Megdush. It did happen. I'm going to talk about the second base of So the other thing is that the Kedusha, it's all about the balance of power in terms of how much Kedusha you have. Yes. How the Jews have. The majority of, having the majority of Kedusha is where the person owes is. Yes. Because that's what it means. In other words, when we have those sparks, then we have the first in order. It's not nothing necessarily. I mean, we still had some sparks, so it was a pillions compared to. Yeah, yeah. You know, we don't, we don't lose everything, it's, you know. But I'm just saying. But and and I brought that pasuk and echa. That's really what it means. Now the second base of Migdash, right, was also destroyed. Correct, <clears throat> you know, and you see the same thing, right? The second base of Migdash destroyed. Where was the first noise, right? Right, so the the, the uh, 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 we we now know that if the divine presence leaves, what emerges on the other side usually is some new religion, some new ability. Since we we lose the ability to perceive God, right, then the goyim get a new. And what new religion, of course, is Christianity. Yeah, where do you think it came from? Uh, Christianity is really the loss of Judaism into the Sultan. That's really what it is. In fact, you can see that, you know. Uh, think about that. Every religion other than Judaism has nothing to do with Judaism. But Christianity is what's called in Yiddish a Moshe Kapoya. It's, it's an exact opposite of Judaism. You see, because it emerged from the, uh, the, the uh, downfall in certain of Judaism. Right? Think about that, right? We say that, well, think about that. We say that we have the Torah. What do they say? They have the Torah, the New Testament. Right? We say that we are based Israel, correct? They say that they are based Israel, right? We say that we have the Mashiach. What do they say? They have him, you know? It's funny, even the Pope was a yarmulke. You know, what, what, what Christianity really is, it's Judaism on its head. That's really what, that's why Christianity is embedded in Judaism. In fact, without Judaism, there is no Christianity. Think about that, you see. In fact, if you walk over to any, um, a priest and so on, and say, before your guy lived, what was the true religion? Judaism. They'll tell you that. It wasn't paganism, it was Judaism. You see? But they, of course, say, well, everything had changed and so on. But the concept really is that the Beit Semikdash was destroyed and God left, so to speak, right? And as a result of that, the Sultan can be unique from the Kedusha, the holiness of the Divine Presence, which means that a religion will emerge. You see, and that's really basically really what happened, and so on, you know. So these two events are very, very important because they literally mirror 
the relationship between the Jew and the Sultan. And that's what's been going on for the last 2,000 years. The Jews sin, you see, and as a result of that, the Goyim grow greater and greater and stronger and stronger as a result of that, you see. And this really is what, what when you think about, that's really what is going on and so on, you know. Um, therefore, we now understand the second incredible tragedy of the Jewish people, Tishabov. What is that? Because it's not only that we lose, you see, we have a loss. Uh, like I mentioned, the divine presence, we lost in the first place, I mean, we lost prophecy, right? We lost the ability to have enormous amount of spirituality. Everything we lost, enormous amount. In the second place, Amigdash, you didn't even have the, the, the Ark, the Oran, that was also gone, and the other things that were gone, you see. But, so that's the first tragedy, is the loss of our connection to God. The second tragedy is that the Sutton has what we had, and therefore he can destroy us. That's the second tragedy. If you really want to experience Tishabov, you know, I would tell you, go to Manhattan, just walk up Fifth Avenue. That's our Teferis. That is the beauty and the might of the Jews. But now it's, no, it's all by the Goyim, you see. That's the incredible tragedy of what Tishbov is. It's not only that we have been denied it, that we don't have it, but it's that it's been given over to them. But if that was the case, that's one thing. But what do they use it for? The Sutton is not interested in giving Goyim this stuff. What he wants is the Goyim to destroy the Jews, you see, by showing, well, we have the Hatzlocha. You know what I'm saying? You don't. We have the beautiful colleges and university, and therefore that attracts thousands and thousands of Jews to go to these places and drop Judaism. You see, that's the second terrible Korban of Tisha B'Av. It's our loss is not just a loss, right? But it's their gain. And their gain is used to destroy us. That's the second terrible Korban of, uh, of, uh, of Tisha B'Av. However, what's important to know is that as far as the Tikkun is concerned, doesn't make a difference. There'll be a Tikkun anyway. Where do we see that? <clears throat> because <clears throat> the Poraduma, the red cow or heifer, whatever they're called, right? What is the secret of the Poraduma, really? What does it mean? Well, it's red, right? And red always indicates Esav or Edom, you see. The Poraduma indicates, right? The, the difficulty with the Poraduma is that you know, you're supposed to burn it, and then if somebody was defiled, contaminated with a tumor, right, that he touched the corpse, then the only way to remove that tumor is with, he had to be sprinkled by the ashes. The ashes, this cow was burnt, then its ashes, right, was mixed with running water, and that was called the mechatos. And then you would take that mechatos, take a hyssop and dip it into mechatos, and sprinkle it on the guy, second and the seventh day, whatever, and that guy would become Tahor, yes. But the incredible thing about it was that the guy you sprinkled it on, he would be pure, remove the Tumah. But the Koyen would be Tomei. So how can something be involved in a process where it can purify and at the same time contaminate the one who is purifying? You see, it's a contradiction, you see. But what that says, <coughs> this is a very important idea, that 
when the Satan has all this power, right, do not think he will win. Because what God did is he created what's called method B. Method A to rectify creation is to bring Kedusha down, to do the mitzvahs, to do tshuva and so on. But there's another method that also can rectify. It can be rectified through the growth of Tumor, which is astounding. In other words, there's a way that the tikkun of the Bria, the rectification of creation, can happen even though, or rather, through the growth of evil. And that is an incredible mystery. And that's the secret of the Paraduma, you see. That this red cow, right, with this coin, he, he can purify you even though he's Tomei. And that's the Pasuk in Eov, actually. Umiyitein toho mi Who is the only one that can bring Tahara, purity, from something which is Tomei? You see? That's what the Paraduma really represents. That the Paraduma indicates that through Tuma itself, Tahara, purity, can come. Which is actually, in many ways, completely contradictory to what it should be. And that is the secret of the Paraduma. So, even can though, wait, can even though, what? Can it be understood? Uh, yeah, 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 it, it, it could be, but, uh, but when you look at it, it's an incredible contradiction. So therefore, what you have to understand, and, and in a certain sense, this is a, a nechoma, you see. Uh, nechoma means a consolation. What does that mean? That even though the, the equation is that if one side loses, the other side gains, and therefore, it would look like ultimately we're finished. See? But what God has done is He's created this, that by losing itself and the sudden gaining, that is a second way to bring the redemption. Amazing. And that is the secret of the Paraduma. That through Tumor, through defilement, actually can come Tahara, which is purity, which means, of course, the redemption. That's the secret of the Paraduma. So therefore, there are two methods to bring the redemption, purity, to remove the satan. One is by learning Torah and so on, where you have the edge. And the second way is where he has the edge, but his edge itself is his destruction. You see, and that's the guarantee that we know that no matter which way it goes, we will be redeemed, Mashiach will come, and there will be redemption. Because that is a way of bringing the redemption. In other words, our failure itself is another vehicle or method to bring redemption. Now that's pretty good. That's incredible. You see, <coughs> what was that? It's Sarah. Who? It's Saras. I'm not hearing it. Saras. Oh, a Taras. Yeah. And the person is a daughter. Is he okay? But that's a very important idea. So therefore, in the tumor itself, in the loss, in the failure itself, also lies the redemption. Because it's a viable method to redeem the Jews. And you know where you really see this? Which is interesting. There's a very interesting Gemara in uh, the Gemara in Brochus, uh, Gimel Omen Aleph, where I think, um, if I'm not sure if it's Rabbi Yossi, I think. You know? Is there a Brochus there? Yeah. Ah, there's a Shas. Is there a brachos over there? Just want to make sure I get it right. 
But it says here, let me read it to you, because it's really very beautiful. Yeah, Rabbi Yossi, yeah. <clears throat> it says there, Rabbi Yossi says, Omar Rabbi Yossi, Rabbi Yossi said, that one time I was walking on the way and I went into a churva. One of the, one of the churvas, one of the uh, abandoned, uh, destroyed buildings, which by the way, was really the place where the base of Mikdash was. Right, but that's one of, the, one of the places, that's where he went, you know. And he had a daven, right? So I went in the churva to daven, right? And also an alien novi, as Elianovi, right, came, right, and he waited for me. And then when I went finished davening, you know, I came out, and he said to me, well, why did you go in there? You shouldn't have gone in there because it's a, it's a sakana, you know, because the thing could collapse on you and so on, you know. So I, I, so he told me what I should have done. Whatever, okay. Ah, then Elion Novi said to me, Vyomali, and he said to me, Bani, my son, Makol Shemato Bechuvazu. Did you hear a voice, some type of a divine voice in this place? Right? So Vyomati Lois, I said to him, Shemati Baskol. I heard a divine Baskol, is that every day there's a Baskol, a divine voice, that if you're in the right level of Kedusha, you can hear it. Okay? I heard a divine voice that cooled like a dove, okay, and Vermeris, and it said the following: "Oil bonum, woe is to the children, she sehem, because of their sins. Hechrafti is basi, I destroyed my house. Vesarafti is hecholi, and I burnt my hechol, my uh, chamber, right? Veheglisim, and I." Exile them, the Bain Ho'umos, among the nations of the world. So Elio Novi said to me, on your life, not only does he, was that, is that voice issued at that point, every day, three times a day, okay? That's what it says. So the question is, what is this conversation really? What's the dialogue? So from here you see a tremendous concept, many tremendous concepts. <clears throat> One, is that God says, <clears throat> right? Because this was Nechurva, this was bombed by the base of Migdash in its destroyed form, that Rabbi Yossi heard it. So what it is, is that God bemoans the fact that he sent his people, he destroyed his house, which is the base of Migdash. He burnt his Heichal, his chamber, which is Yerushalayim, and he kicked the Jews out of Israel among all the nations of the world. That's the Golos, that's the exile. And God bemoans that in a tremendous way, you see? And this is called the Tsar of the Shekhinah, the enormous pain of the divine, uh, of the Rabbani Shalom. You see, you have to remember one thing, we don't realize something you know, we're here, you know, we're living it up, we're doing great things, whatever, and so on. But really, the Rabbani Shalom, as they say, Kaviyochel, if God would be human, is under unbelievable pain and suffering. Yes, the Divine Presence suffers continuously. How do you see that? Because Eliyahu Nomri told them, this goes on three times a day, 
right? And three times is a chazaka. That means it's not like once a day and move on to the next day. No, this is a continuous, tremendous pain that the shechina feels. It's called the tzav of the shechina. And that's why many tzaddikim get up, tikin chatzois, because they want to join with the tremendous pain and suffering of the divine presence. You see. So, but what is God bemoaning? That he put him in a situation which is terrible, right? Right? That he burnt his house, the base of Migdash, Yushalayim, and he exiled them. Is that what it is? Is that the Jews are going to be caused suffering? Yes. But the real concept that he's bemoaning God, that God is bemoaning, is that why did I have to go from method A to method B? Because that's method B, isn't it? That through suffering, through tumor, through persecutions itself and exile that the Goyim do as a result of the fact that the Sultan has all this power which the Jews gave him by their sins, right? Don't worry, that will be a method of redemption. That's the concept of the Paraduma. But God bemoans the fact, not that there won't be a good redemption, of course there will be, but that he now had to shift the direction from method A to method B. That's what God is bemoaning. Yeah, of course, okay, ultimately the redemption will come, you see. But this is a terrible way that you have to do it, you see. It's like, it's like you know, if you think about it, it's like health, you know. A guy could prevent disease, but now that he gets sick, he's got to go through surgery. Yeah, the surgery will save him, but who wants to go through surgery? Same concept. <clears throat> so that's the concept that God bemoans himself every day, continuously. It's a continuous tzah of the shechina, you see. That the Jewish people now have to go from one method to the other method, and the second method is terrible to endure. It'll, it'll bring the redemption, that's true. But it is a terrible method to endure. This is what God is saying. And that's what Elio and I are saying. And you should know one thing, that the pain of the Divine Presence is so great that no human being can suffer that and live. If it wasn't for the fact that it's God, so, so to speak, suffering, not that He suffers, but Kaviyochel, He was human, right? right? If it wasn't the fact that it was, that's God, any man would die from that suffering. That's how great is the Tzah, is the pain and the suffering of the Shekhinah. And that's what we see from that Gemara. Oh, you see. So this is what Tishbav is. Number one, it is the loss of the Shekhinah that we caused, not the guys 2,000 years ago, right? And because of that loss, we mourn. What do we mourn? Not just that we caused it, but there's no Nevi'im anymore, there's no prophets. It's much more difficult to access spirituality, you see. Not only that, if you need to, uh, you know, uh, reinforce the belief in God, you just go to the base of Mikdash and you see these 10 ongoing miracles. There wouldn't be any doubt anymore, you see. And not only that, but imagine going to a place that you can connect with the Divine Presence, you see. That'd be incredible. So that's the loss we suffer, those two ideas. And the second idea is that the loss we suffer resulted in an enormous strengthening of the Sultan to empower so many non-Jews, not everybody, there are many non-Jews that are righteous, you know, but there are so many of them that are incredibly evil, 
And the evil exists because the Satan has this enormous amount of Kiddusha or the, the, the sparks of holiness. We have to thank God that what? That um, the Rebbeinu has actually enabled that way to bring the redemption. If not for that, we'd be finished, you see. And that's ultimately what, what, what it means, that if it wasn't for God, it was if God didn't take method B, create a method B, right, for us, that even in the midst of tumor, defilement, <clears throat> and exile, right, if it wasn't for that God made that way, a way of redemption, Jewish people would be finished, chas v'shalom, <coughs> you see. So therefore, <clears throat> the nechom of that, really in the end, is that that will save us. But it's interesting, you see. The way the Jews are saved is through the mourning itself. Because when a Jew mourns on Tisha B'Av, what he's really indicating is he feels the loss and, he, and, he, uh, 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 and he's together with the Divine Presence in that misery. So when you feel a loss and you mourn, right, what you're really saying is that I understand what that Presence was, right, and I wish it came back. That itself is a tikkun. And that's why it says, Kolamis Abel, anybody who mourns the destruction of the Beis Amidosh, right, he will see in the simcha of its rebuilding. Why? Because the mourning itself is the vehicle that gave him the merit to see the rebuilding. Because when he mourned the Beis Amidosh, that itself indicated that he knows exactly what it feels and that he feels terrible, you know, he understands the loss, and he truly feels terrible that there is such a loss, you see. So ultimately speaking, that's what Tisha B'Av is, all these ideas, you see. We have to hope that, <clears throat> that the, the, the time has been reached, that what, what we really all should be looking for, is, it's not that the Mashiach is going to come before Tisha B'Av, you know. Because there's a, a lot of preparatory things that have to go on, which I spoke about, and so on, right, in 21st century Shirim. But the real thing is, we have to hope that the process will begin, that will start the process where the preparations of him coming begins. Because once it starts, it is irrevocable. It is irreversible, and it's irrevocable. That's what we have to hope will happen between now and Tuesday, which is Tisha B'Av. So let's hope it does happen, and that the Mashiach will come, and we will finish with all this incredible evil and nonsense, you know, and absolute idiocy of what we look at when we look at the, the entire world. I mean, you just can't, when you look at the world, you can't believe what, what these guys are all about. I mean, it's, it's like, it's like, you know, it's like a three-ring circus. It's like a three-ring circus with clowns that are evil. It's really, they're all clowns. It's a three-ring circus. You, you can't believe the nonsense you know, you look at these guys like they're a bunch of Neanderthals. And that's an insult to a Neanderthal, by the way. You know, Neanderthal is a caveman, right? I'm insulting the caveman by comparing today to them. You know. But uh, you just can't believe what's going on. The evil of this world, the greed, the evil, the materialistic pursuits, you know, uh, the desire for power you know, and recognition, it's just beyond belief what's out there, you know. Is there anybody who's a sincere Elech person out there? You know, it's just incredible to watch. You know, and, uh, and hopefully someday this will go away and reason and, and righteousness will reign finally, you know, where this world makes sense. So we have to, hold, we have to hope 
that this uh, process will begin now before Tishbav. You know, that's what we really have to hope. But in any case, this is the concept of what Tishbav is, and um, it's something to think about. You know, when you are uh, uh, on Tishbav morning, what it's really all about. So this, so the tikkun, so the, the job of Tishbav is to to mourn and yeah. join in the Shekhinah to show that you want it back, and this yeah. kind of takes the place of the Yisurah. Yes. Yeah. Certainly does. Any questions? How do we understand that things getting worse and much more horrible? Is this still on? Well, the reason why things are getting worse, which I once mentioned, is because 98% of the spots of holiness is now out of the sudden and back in our hands. Therefore, he is 98% dead. How did he lose it? Through Yisurim? Well, through Mitzvah, and Yisurim, yeah. And the exile, which is Yisurim, you know? So that when, you know, when, when, when a sudden is dying, he becomes desperate. He panics. And everything you look at now, everything, is nothing more than the panic of the sudden. That's really what you're looking at. And that's why the world looks so bizarre. You see? That's really what you're looking at. And therefore, he, he doesn't want to go under. The last thing he wants to do is to go under. You know, so therefore he will try to arouse as much evil as possible to try to destroy the Jews as much as possible. And I mentioned the concept of the Holocaust uh, on the 21st century, Shurim. You know what 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 his objective was. You know, to destroy the faith of the Jew in, in God and so on. You know, uh, and he and he he's going bananas. I mean, he's just going wild. That's really why you see the world headed in such a terrible fashion. There's no righteousness anymore. You know what I'm saying? There's no, uh, there's no fairness, there's no sincerity. It's just you look at the, I mean, you know, you just, you just look at what's happening, even in America. You know, you look at the Congress, you say, what are these guys? A bunch of clowns. You can't believe, and it's all, it's all themselves. That's what they think about it themselves. They don't think about, you know, to govern righteously and to govern adequately and competently. It's all about themselves, as they say, sich. It's all about me. M-E, you know. And uh, it's not, this, uh, America's a great country compared to the rest of the world. The rest of the world, forget about it, you know. You know. Um, it's just, it's amazing when you, when you look for spirituality, it's almost gone. How many people are really spiritual anymore? Most people pursue all the other goals and so on, you know. Uh, but, you know, someday that will turn around. We'll really turn around someday, you know. But anyway, that's why it's getting worse. Look, are you saying that the, co- the concept of Tikbaris strengthening of evil, evil yeah. bringing the Tikkun closer, is that only because that makes more Yusurim, or is there another idea there that's deeper than that? Tikbaris we get Jews get, get Yusurim, and then, the, and then the sparks leave and come back to us. Is that the whole concept, or is there anything else? Anything deeper than that? You know, there, there, there is something deeper than that, you know. I mean, just ostensibly, as they say, the fact that uh, the Jews suffer more. Like, That's much the Yisurim part. That's Yisurim, right? the anguish, the agony, yeah. the persecutions and so on, you know. And that's the, one of the main ideas of the whole concept. That is certainly true, you know. Um, but uh, there, there are other related ideas, you know, if you really want to... You know, if you, you go into it and so on, you know. But um, that's the easiest and simplest idea, you know. 
Any other questions? What was the Pasuk in Eicha again? It's in the beginning of Eicha. Soreha, her uh, princes, Umalkeho, and her kings, Bagoyim, are amongst the uh, non-Jews. So princes is beautiful. Ain't Torah. Ain't Torah. There is no Torah. That's what it says in the Pasuk. V'gam Eho, and also her prophets, Le'motsu chazoyim mi'ashem. They see no visions from God. There's no prophecy, there's no Torah, and that's the Ferris. And then Soreya Makabagoyim is the Oyes. Success and wisdom is now in the hands of the Goyim. Uh, which, yeah. and that's the Chubim and the bias, because the Jews have that. That's our gift, you know, Ferris and Oyes. As I point out the person, yeah. That's true, you know, secular Jews, they're so ignorant. When they're breaking the glass, at their wedding, you think they know the symbolism behind it? They have no idea. Okay, so fine. Yeah. I want to ask you the when a person does a virus, yeah. So he's giving sparks to a certain mitzvah, so he's certain to take them back from the certain. Yeah. But a person, we are all part of Adam Arishan, correct? Yes. So, do we have like an individualized satan that we're targeting? Do we all have, like, are we, connect, are we each one connected to one part of the satan? And as he grows or as he goes down, we are affected by that? Or is it like on a general level? Actually, what you're saying is interesting. There, there is a concept, yes. In other words, the nature of the sin does create the direction that he can grow in. That's true. It's not arbitrary, you know, it's not like, okay, you know, we give him the energy now, it's up to him to do what he wants. No, that's the concept of midah connected midah, you see. You know where you see that, for instance, uh, because we drove away the Shekhinah by the Beis HaMikdash, right? What was the sin, right? Uh, you know, whatever, the, the three of errors, right? Uh, incest, uh, adultery, uh, uh, murder, and uh, idol worship, you know what I'm saying? Uh, those three things, uh, directly led to the removal of the Shekhinah and therefore the removal of the Shekhinah di directly led to what? To the emergence of religions. We lose God, they gain God in their way of seeing Him. You see? So that is true. Depending on the sin, because there's a concept called meter connected meter, measure for measure, the nature of the sin does in many ways dictate, determine the kind of growth that the Sultan can do. In that very way that you failed, in that very way he will succeed. You see this many times. I, I had examples for that, but but uh, you see this. Um, you do see this. Yeah. yeah. We lose power. philosophy. Correct. You see that. Yeah. The question was if it's on the individual level or on the general. Or it's, it's on both. Meaning on my individual yes, level. Yes. Yes. Me and. Me and Yes, yes, it's on, it's on an individual level and, and on a national level, correct? Because yeah. that's the concept of meter connected meter, measure for measure, which means that as you sin, so shall you be punished. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, it's clearly like that. So how will the goal of comment with a plan B? What's the It'll come to a plan B. What's the plan B now? The plan B, the plan B is goalless. It's goes and there are all kinds of bad things. Another yeah. holocaust? Uh, no, no. No, no, no. It, that holocaust was part of plan B. Yeah, we got Israel right here. 
what, what, whatever, but that Holocaust was plan B, and therefore that's part of method B. You know what I'm saying? But I don't believe that'll happen again. You know, the, 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 I, I spoke about that in the 21st century show, but uh, that, that's all part of plan B. The darkness is part of plan B. That's really all part of it, you know. Could plan B end from one second to the next, meaning can plan, plan B, what? B is now, and then the Gula happens the next the next minute. Yeah, sure. So there has to be a gradual process of. Well, it, of, uh, I, I, when the, it's the over, room you were saying that yeah. it has to be gradual. That's what you. Feel. Yeah, no, I, 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 there has to be preparatory actions before Mashiach comes. That's what I I've been saying, you know. Uh, but so the, that but means at this point, it can't happen. Pisam Yavoy, what the pasuk says. He will come suddenly because we don't have those. Those. Uh, I, I believe the process will happen suddenly. That Could brings the guy him. show up before before yeah. Tishabah, Not that he will, but a, a, a process will happen suddenly. Whatever the beginning of the process is, you know. And that'll be clear that it's ha- that the is happening. I don't care if it's clear. I just want it to happen. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not worried about the clarity of this. I just want it to start. Eventually, guess what? We'll figure it out. How would you know what I'm saying? When it happens, it's going to happen, and everybody's going to figure it out. It will become known. How that, lo- that looks? How that looks? Yeah, that process. That we can recognize it. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> what? For that, i got to charge more for this year. Oh. <laughs> you know? <laughs> you know, it's funny, you know? You said that the Manashram suffers because he's using Plan B. Aside yeah. from the fact that we're suffering, what, what yeah, that it is what's called the tsar of the shechina. It's the pain of the shechina, you see, and that's so. That's why people say tikkun chatzos. But why, why the pain? Because we're in pain. No, God. I actually, what you're saying it's interesting. No, no, God mirrors the Jewish people. God is a father. I mean, if you want to look at it a simple way, God, a father has enormous pain. If he's got to send his son to surgery, doesn't he? But the result is as good with plan A or plan B. Either way, yeah. Both will lead to the redemption. That's the secret of the Paraduma, the red cow. The Shina went in exile with us. Yes, yes. And that's <coughs> God is in exile. Shechinta Bigalusa. When it says Shechinta Bigalusa, means the divine presence is in exile, right? <coughs> okay, that has several ideas to it. It means he has to be with us or we'll be finished. You know, he's assisting us, you know. But the concept of Shechinta Bikalusa is that God himself is in exile, which means that he can't do what he wants to do, you see. Uh, and therefore, that represents pain. You know, it's God has to allow the Sultan to take from his Kedusha. That's terrible. And because justice demands. And God said, justice is the main idea. So when the Bezdin, when the Sultan prosecutes and he says okay I want some of this stuff you know and God has to say okay that what what when the divine presence in exile really means right that God is compelled so to speak of course he's not compelled but what he does is he allows the Sutton to nourish off himself off the divine presence itself you see I mean, of course, God is not in that, but God allows, He voluntarily allows the Sutton to take. And that's called the Golas, the exile of the Shrina. You see? Thank you. Great.